0: Our study on stewardship. I appreciate Kaysen mentioning that in his prayer. I want to encourage you to open your Bibles. Uh, if you've got your uh, bulletin, you see there on the back side of that is an outline. You can follow along as well. What we are learning through this and acknowledging is that Jesus talked often, talked much about money. He told us that your heart goes wherever your treasure is. And so part of being a disciple. Part of following Him is realizing what is our treasure? What do we treasure? To know if someone is following Jesus, follow their money. Follow their time. See how they live their life. Their heart will go to whatever or to whoever their treasure is. So far in this series, we have admitted as we've studied this that we own nothing. That God owns everything. That we're just stewarding everything. And so today, we're going to be encouraged to consider this next point, and that is to appreciate anything. So in this study of stewardship, Stewardship 101, God owns all. God owns all. We talked about that in the first week. He has a right to everything because everything is His. Stewardship 201, that we are to manage God's trust fund. It's all His. We don't own it. So we're just to manage these resources. We are not entitled. We are entrusted. And what we have is on loan it's really his we manage it and this next one may be the uh, simplest to grasp but maybe the most challenging to live out the hardest to implement and that is stewardship 301 you are as rich as you think you are as rich as you think if being mindful That God owns all is the foundation for stewardship, as one author said. Then being grateful, being thankful is the roof of stewardship. We've got to have these. We've got to have these. Gratitude is essential. Good stewards have cultivated a grateful heart. If you've not been grateful for all that you have, for all that you receive, you're not going to be mindful of God. And how those blessings come from him in the first place. God mentions this in Romans 1.21. Look how Paul describes the condition of mankind. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. And then in verse 20 it says they, 23 it says, They exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. That's the NIV, the New Century Version. says, they traded the glory of God who lives forever for idols. When you don't acknowledge God, when you don't thank God, then you slip into idolatry, whether you realize it or not. But those who thank God less are going to be thinking of God's substitutes more. It's just the way our mind works. If you don't thank God, you will turn to something or someone to be that God substitute for you. Give them the credit. You give them the attention. You give them the allegiance. You give them your heart. That's how idolatry begins. Now, Scripture is full of calls, of commands, of admonitions to thank God. Not because He needs to hear it, but because we need to say it. Ephesians 5.20 Always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Colossians 3.17 Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Philippians 4.6 Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving present your request to God. Are we fluent in the language of thanksgiving. Do we do a good job with this? Most of us are like the little boy who went to a birthday party. His mom took him to the birthday party, dropped him off, and trying to help him with good manners. Said, "Now, be sure to thank the lady before you leave. And tell her you had a good time. So she went to pick him up, and she asked him, did you thank his mom for inviting you to come to the party. And he said, no. And she said, why not? She said, well, the girl in front of me thanked her for inviting her, and she said, don't mention it. So I did (laughs) it. We don't mention it, do we? Not nearly as often as we should. Maybe. That's because we don't think we we are as wealthy as we ought to be. Isn't it true that nobody thinks they are rich? Nobody thinks they are rich, but everybody knows someone who is. We all draw the rich line differently, don't we? Everyone lives right under the line, and we all know someone who lives right over the line. Isn't that true? We may deny the blessing of being rich more than any other blessing. And so we do not think, because we do not think. We don't think, because we do not think. And yet, I wonder if I could convince you that you are rich. I put an article in last week's bulletin, in the insert from Richard Foster, that talked about being rich, because I wanted us to start thinking about this. Let me ask you a couple of questions. Don't raise your hands, but just think about this. Answer these questions how many of you have been to a dentist had some work done even do you realize how fortunate you are that you're even in that category so much of the world doesn't even have access to dental care how many ever broken a bone broken a finger broken a leg do you realize most of the world when they break a finger they live the rest of their life with a crooked finger When they break a leg, they live the rest of their life not being able to walk or walking with the limp or using a crutch. How many of your kids played a sport, took a dance lesson, played an instrument? You bought them a uniform with cleats. How many of you paid for a babysitter? Do you have a car? If you have a car, you're rich. If you have two cars, you're super rich. Some of you have a car for every person in your family. I read this quote. Said, so "Did you know 25% of Americans have a two-car garage, and they're so rich that their stuff is in the garage and they park their cars out in the weather." 25%. I think it's greater than that. Here's one. In a word, upgrade. Do you ever upgrade? You know what I mean by that? We do it all the time. I think we all know what I mean by that. You take perfectly fine clothes that still fit, appliances that still work, furniture that is still very comfortable, good automobiles that still drive, and we get rid of it so that we can have a better one, a new one, or at least one that's new to us, we do it all the time. Cell phone companies know this about us, and they exploit it. And it's amazing because people will camp out on the sidewalk so they can be first in line to get the newest. Now, some of you are going, "Oh, well, not me. Well, not for that. But how many of us are not partakers of this whole upgrading? We're not happy unless we have something new or at least new to us. Now that's how some people think. They are not content with what they have because they have the means to get whatever they want. Remember when Jesus was with the, was with the crowd of thousands and they were hungry? There's no place for them to eat, and all they had, you remember, was two loaves and uh, five loaves and two fish. Do you remember what happened next? That he prayed and gave thanks. Before, there was enough food to feed everybody. He gave thanks when all there was was five loaves and two fish. Now, we want to give thanks after we've got enough. After there's enough money in the bank. After we have whatever it is that we're wanting. Instead of giving thanks first for what we already have and finding out it is enough. We are as rich as we thank let me share what this means. I've got to put a couple of blanks on your study guide if you're going to follow along. Giving thanks, number one, decreases entitlement. Giving thanks decreases entitlement. Now, we mentioned this last week a little bit, but we need to talk about this some more, I think. One day, Abraham Lincoln was walking down the street with his two boys. They had been fighting, and now they were crying. And, and so somebody passing by asked him, what's wrong with your boys? And he said, exactly what's wrong with the world? There are three walnuts, and each boy wants two. It's true, isn't it? A lack of gratefulness for one led to a fight for two. We're discontent with what we have because we want more. And sometimes, even at somebody else's expense, may I challenge all of us just to be aware, to open our eyes, to 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 just be aware of that constant propaganda of a perpetually dissatisfied culture that lives by the motto I am owed that is always around us and it's so easy to buy into that kind of thinking so I'm going to challenge you to be aware to put up your spiritual antenna to listen to those messages and be able to say no I'm, I'm not going to fall for that that false messages of advertising you need more You need newer. You you need different. You need the latest. You need the best. You deserve it. I am owed. Isn't that one of the reasons why our government is so messed up? People think I am owed. Our courtroom is full of lawsuits. I am owed. We live in a perpetually dissatisfied culture that lives by that motto... If we think we deserve it, if we think we deserve it, we're not going to be grateful when we get it, and we're for sure going to be discontent if we don't get it. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 6 through 8. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we'll be content with that. Now, all of us have been discontent at times. I have... You have, all of us have been discontent. But how many of us have been discontent because of no food? Or truly nothing to wear? I doubt any of us have awakened hungry and didn't know if we would eat that day. True? We don't literally have to pray, give us today our daily bread. But this Stewardship 301 teaches us a new definition of contentment. When Paul was in prison in Rome, the church in Philippi sent him some money and he was grateful for the gift. And so he wrote to express that among other things. But he says the gift didn't change his attitude. Look at Philippians 4 verses 11 and following. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do everything through Him who gives me strength. Strength. Many Christians know Philippians 4.13 by heart. But how many of us understand the context? Well, there's the context. You're not born this way. You're not born content. Paul says, I've learned what it means to be content. To see myself not as entitled, but as graced. Look at James 1.16. Do not be deceived, my dear brothers. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father. Giving thanks is like a, a proactive vaccine that, that will guard us against this whole concept. It will open our eyes like glasses. You put them on and you can see it for what it is. You can see your blessings and you can see that deceptive advertising that is playing to our carnal side. Giving thanks is like the rail on the side of the road that keeps you from going off that cliff of discontentment. Instead... It turns that why not me into why me? Why am I so blessed? Why am I so fortunate? Which brings me to number two giving thanks increases enjoyment. Giving thanks increases enjoyment. You may have heard about the two men that were walking through the field when they came upon an enraged bull who immediately came running right after them. And so they started running for the fence. But they weren't going to make it. The bull was gaining on them. So terrified, one shouted to the other, Pray, John, we're in for it. And John said, Well, I don't pray in public. I don't know what to say. And the guy said, Well, say something. That bull's gaining on us. He said, Well, the only prayer I know is when my mom taught me at the table, Oh, Lord, for what we are about to receive, make us truly thankful. (laughs) Are we truly thankful for what you have? Do you enjoy it? Now, I'm going to make some financial planners among us nervous as I say this, but did you know that there is more in the Bible about enjoying your wealth than there is about saving it? Think about that. Ecclesiastes 5.19 Moreover, when God gives any man wealth and possessions and enables him to enjoy them, (coughs) to accept his lot and be happy in his work, this is a gift of God understand that as parents, when you give your child a gift and they enjoy it, it brings you joy. You love that. 1 Timothy 6 verse 17, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us everything for our enjoyment. A couple of chapters earlier, 1 Timothy 4, 4, for everything God created is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. The more thankful you are, the more joyful you will be. They go hand in hand. But it's so easy to have a there and then thinking and not a here and now thanking. Do you know what I mean by that? Some of you may be caught up in thinking that contentment and gratitude comes after we have enough whatever enough is, after we arrive, after we accomplish, after we obtain, after we get through, after we get over, after we graduate, after we get married, after we have a child, after we get that promotion, after we get that house, after we retire, we put off that here and now thinking for there and then thinking. We get those mixed up. You've heard the phrase, you don't know what you have until it's gone. Heard that? You don't know what you have until it's gone. As those who follow Jesus, that that should not be true of us. We should be grateful for what we have now. Right now. Ecclesiastes 6 verse 9 from the New Living Translation says, Enjoy what you have instead of desiring what you don't have. You appreciate anything. A grateful heart will still see the negative, but will choose to dwell on the positive. Good stewards enjoy what they have. And because of that, they are able to employ what they have, to use it for good. And that's how they can be joyful and be generous. There is a good reason that miser and miserable are from the same root. 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 are amazing chapters on this whole concept. In fact, I put them as an insert in the bulletin this week, or you may want to read it in your own Bible, but spend some time in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. Rich passages here. For example, 2 Corinthians 9 7. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, For God loves a cheerful giver. You want to know why God loves a cheerful giver? Because a cheerful giver loves God. They go hand in hand. And when you cultivate this grateful heart, it brings about engagement. That's point number three. Giving thanks produces engagement. When you acknowledge that you're rich, when you're thankful for what you have, you realize that God owns it all, that you are just a steward, then, well, let's just say this, we are rich. Can we all just acknowledge that? Can we just stop the denying game and say, we are rich. So then let's make it our goal to be good and rich. To be good at being rich. A few moments ago, we read Paul's command about enjoying God's blessings. But the very next verse, 1 Timothy 6, verse 18, says, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and be generous and willing to share. Nowhere in the Bible does it say, stop being rich. Money makes a terrible master, but a wonderful servant, when Jesus is your master. I mentioned uh, Phil Wagon a couple of times because of his book, and he uses the word kingdomnomics. He said this Most kingdomnomics graduates will not take a vow of poverty, but all of them will take a vow of generosity. That's what Paul is writing here. All of them will engage in God's mission by being a channel of his blessings. What you have is not yours, it's yours to use, it's yours to share. You're a channel instead of a dam. And let me make sure that we all understand what this means. What that means is that in managing our resources, we decide, we decide not to commit all that we receive for ourselves. We make the decision in worship on Sunday, we give. It's a part of our worship. And we give to the church, but we're given to God. But in addition to that, we open our eyes and we open our wallets to opportunities God will bring before us. And so for you, maybe that's something like, as you're cashing your check, as you're going about your finances, you say, I'm going to take a 20. I'm going to put that back in my wallet because there may be somebody God puts in my path that I can help Now, for you, you might put a couple hundred dollars worth of 20s to help somebody. If you're a teen with a part-time job, for you, maybe you could put a five back. And what that's doing is just, as you're managing your money, you're reminding yourself there may be people that God puts in my path that I can be a blessing to. We have the intention of sharing what God has blessed us with. If you are still thinking that sharing and being generous are for those who have more than you. Not only are you missing it, but you're missing out. Let me share a story that I think will help us understand how this works. In the book, God So Loved He Gave, Justin Borger tells a story about a homeless woman living under an overpass in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Further their church outreach. They're trying to do good things, and so they gave her some, some hygiene items just to kind of help her being a homeless person. And she was very grateful for that. They didn't hear anything else from her until she was in the hospital because she was assaulted. She called and reached out to them. So they reached out to her. Tammy got better, got out of the hospital, started going to church with them. And so the church also started helping her, providing vouchers so that she could buy food and and other items that she needed just to live on because she was homeless and didn't have a job. Borger said that created a problem because they would give her the vouchers to spend the money, but she kept giving the vouchers away to other people. Borger told her, Tammy, you need to keep this for yourself, otherwise you'll run out of food. But living under the bridge meant that she lived with other people who also didn't have food. It was unthinkable for her to receive a give and then not share it. So with an incredulous stare, she asked Borgia, Why can't I give some too? <coughs> Borger writes, I found myself taken aback. Why shouldn't Tammy be allowed to give some of what she had received? Wasn't that exactly what I was doing? I paused for a moment, but then I gave her a very pragmatic answer. We're giving this to you, not to everyone else you meet. Yet I recognized the deeper problem to only receive and never give back is to be belittled, to be humiliated. Over time, I began to think of Tammy as a kind of pet project in which I was always the giver and she was always the recipient. But the good news is that God not only made us to be recipients of His grace, but also participants in the movement of His own generosity. We're not just recipients of God's generosity. We are participants engaged in God's generous mission. Back to that chapter, 2 Corinthians 9-11... You will be made rich in every way. Why? So that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in the thanksgiving to God. You've been blessed by God. And because you've been blessed by God, then you be thankful. And because you're thankful, you let that change the way you look at money. So you be good at being rich. And you're willing to share. And when you share, they're thankful to God. You see how it comes full circle. Every year in November we say it. Thanksgiving is not a day. Don't we? Thanksgiving is not just a day. It's a mindset. It's a lifestyle. It is so true. It's a state of the heart. It is the inevitable response to the generosity of God. Understand this. Stewardship ultimately flows from an understanding of the Gospel. I keep going back to this because this is at its core. Think about it. What does God need? What does God want? What is it that God wants that He doesn't already have? The only thing He doesn't have us because as a sinful mankind we turned our back on him he created us in in his own image and we left him we turned our back on him so what does God do? God gave his son to buy us back to be that perfect example on this earth to die on the cross for us That whoever believes in Him would not perish, but would live with God forever. So the grace of giving is a response to the giving of grace. So here's the conclusion. One more blank. Completely committed followers are always thinking about Jesus. You want to know if somebody is fully committed to Jesus? It just comes out. It just comes up. You're a part of their life and you see it. They cannot not talk about it. It's the way they do with their money. It's the way they do with their time. It's who they are. It always shows up. They cannot stop thinking about Jesus. This isn't a series about money. This isn't a series about life. It's about the gospel. It's what do you really believe. The gospel teaches you and me to think and to think differently. Back to 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. Last verse of chapter 9. Thanks be to God for His indescribable gift. Thanks be to God for His indescribable gift. When you are overwhelmed with Jesus, you can't stop thinking about Him. And when you think about Him, you're overwhelmed with gratitude when Jesus is your treasure, then that affects how you manage all of your resources. There is a Puritan prayer that was said before a meal of bread and water. What? All of this and Jesus too? Jesus came to be like us died for us to take our sins from us because God doesn't want to be in heaven without us. It all goes back to the Gospel. Today, if you want to accept this gift of salvation, confess that you believe Jesus is the Son of God, let Him make you a new creation in baptism and give you the gift of His Spirit we're going to sing a song to encourage you. Or if we can just pray for you. Maybe it has nothing to do with stewardship, but maybe it has everything to do with trusting him. If we can pray for you, if we can help you, once you comes with standing sing.